Hi all, welcome to another bonus episode of the Leading Safely podcast. Today we're chatting with Paul Dubois. Paul is the CEO and founder of Appinate, a no-code platform for creating line-of-business apps with customers in 40-plus countries. Prior to Appinate, Paul worked in enterprise software for the health insurance, financial services, construction, utilities and resource industries. For over 15 years, Paul has led remote teams operating in multiple countries and time zones, delivering quality solutions to large and small customers. I will add a disclaimer here that the topic that Paul is about to speak about is timely and might be a little bit difficult in content to listen to, or may even be a trigger. If the content of this episode is challenging or triggers you in any shape, way or form, Please do tune out now and seek help through your normal support networks or by reaching out to services like Lifeline on 13 11 14 or access www.blackdoginstitute.com.au and click get help now. Alternatively, you can also seek help by chatting with your GP. Right, now that we've got that covered, let's get into it, shall we? Hi, Paul. Thanks again for taking time out of your busy schedule to meet with me um, and having a chat around clinical burnout. It seems to be a very current issue at the moment, especially with the new code of practice on psychosocial risk and everything that seems to be in the media. Um, So I appreciate you um, sharing your journey with us. Um, As you know, I'll be asking all of my special guests these three general questions um, because I'm interested and really like to know the answers. gives me different perspectives. Um, So first question for you is, in your experience working with companies establishing health and safety protocols, what do you think is important to be an effective leader in this space? Um, Yeah, thanks for having me on. Um, I think if it comes down to to establishing anything, whether it's health and safety protocols or any other kind of process, um, probably the most important thing is to try and get buy-in ahead of time. Um, So, you know, you don't really want to show up on a Monday morning with a whole new set of uh, protocols that need to be implemented out of the blue. It's, it's something you want to actually sound out amongst people first, I think. Um, as with anything, there are always multiple ways to skin the cat. So try and find the way that really works for your company and your particular uh, demographic set of people, um, their needs and, and all those sorts of things. I think a lot of protocols and procedures and processes fail not because they aren't, uh, you know, reasonable or, or, or good processes, but because they've been brought in in such a way that they essentially get people to arc up from the start. And you know, if, you, if you're doing it that way, no matter what you're doing, it's going to be really tough to to get through. That actually ties into one of the other questions as well. Um, so, in that case, what would be your words of wisdom um, for someone dealing with people who don't want to change or that are arcing up, like you just said, in that, <laughs> yeah. in that regard? Then, yeah, I, I mean, look, uh, I think sometimes we forget that companies are not like these these just these machines. They're they're a collection of people. So, mm-hmm. when you start thinking in that direction. Um, to me, successful companies are ones that have found a particular formula, particular method of operating that suits their personnel. And as a result, they, ha- they have good outcomes. Um, so when, you, when you're talking about bringing in anything, and you know, particularly health and safety type stuff, sometimes it can become a real sort of, uh, what's the word, 
black and white sort of situation where it's kind of us versus them. And mm -hmm. I think you got to step back in those situations and take the conversation away from what you're trying to implement and bring it back to what problem you're actually trying to solve. Um, and, you know, if the problem is, hey, people are getting injured on site, uh, have the discussion about that. Start the discussion there. Start the introduction of whatever protocols you're bringing in at the problem. Get people agreeing that there is a problem, first of all. And, you know, again, some people are some people are stubborn and they're not going to accept that there is even a problem. Um, so, again, you know, being able to motivate things and being able to make a case for the problem and why it is an issue and why it needs to be addressed, I think, is the first step in getting people on site, right? Because otherwise, and this is the reputation I think health and safety generally has, um, uh, you know, fairly or unfairly earned is that it's a bunch of people putting a bunch of checklists together that actually don't mean anything. And, um, you know, when people do not are not able to connect with the problem that you're trying to solve, then that's exactly what it's going to be, right? It's just going to be another thing that they got to do every day because some, you know, some person in an office said so. Um, so I think if you can bring people along and help them understand really the core of why that's in place then straight away you have people who have a feel they have a stake in the conversation um and i think the other thing is you've got to be flexible and as far as possible be willing to adjust or um adapt you know whatever you're proposing to fit the personnel that you have um you know if you, i work in tech obviously so we have a software solution that goes out and it's used a lot in health and safety to kind of produce apps that people can use, but, um, and you know, for all kinds of purposes. But if your workforce is, I don't know what, technology illiterate, right? <laughs> yep. Then showing up with a whole bunch of apps, no matter how shiny and, yep. and powerful they are, mm -hmm. it doesn't matter because you're actually yep. mismatching, right? Nice. So you, you got to get people, you got to give people a solution that actually suits where they are as opposed to whatever, you know, is the industry standard or the best practice or whatever, you know, rather work with what you've got um, than try and force something upon people. Yeah, that's fantastic. And it sounds like you were saying people are not the solution. The problem is the solution. Yeah. <laughs> focusing on yeah. the, the problem as opposed to focusing on the person or the attitudes that you potentially are getting from that person. Absolutely. Take it back to what's the problem and what are we dealing with? Yeah. And look, I mean, you're always going to have that very small subset of people who just hate change full stop or just refuse to you know toe the line and i think that becomes a bigger conversation anyway about their suitability for your organization right 100%. um so yeah you know you want everyone in the boat you know rowing in the same direction um but there's lots of ways you can get people to row in the same direction and i certainly espouse the one where everyone understands why we're rowing in that particular direction yeah i completely agree and uh, final question from a vendor's perspective, if you could invite, uh, invent something to solve a health and safety issue in the workplace where expenditure, opinions and all of that other stuff didn't matter, what would you invent and why, obviously, aside from what you've already created? <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, look, I mean, I think there's a lot of interesting things just going on generally in the tech space. Um, I certainly think that things like augmented reality um, you know, it's only going to grow as, as technology options. But, you know, given the nature of the question, I would love to have some kind of, uh, well, I just love to invent some kind of like anti-dumbass <laughs> bracelet. Yeah. 
you know, just because I think a lot of stuff happens, and if we're talking in health and safety context, a lot of health and safety issues are just because people are being dumbasses, right? <laughs> like they're being idiots. Yeah. You know, they're, I don't know, walking on the edge of a building. Mm-hmm. Not because they have to, but because they're having a laugh, you know, or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, or, yeah, you know, just, just doing stupid stuff, right? So I think if we had some kind of bracelet that, you know, kind of... I'm not saying it should give you an electric shock, although that has crossed my mind, but just, you know, it gave you some kind of warning, like, hey, maybe rethink your, your choices right now. I'm not saying it would solve problems, but I think it would hopefully avert some of the worst ones that, that are often just because people have been stupid, right? It's not because there weren't protocols in place or they weren't trained or inducted or whatever it is. It's just because they were being, I don't know, just being stupid, right? So, yeah, I think something like that would be awesome. I have a two-year-old, so I think it might come in handy uh, from the toddler age group. This, this has got widespread applications, trust me. I think uh, you know you could fit the drivers on the road and, with and them. And you heard it here first, hey? That's the, right. Uh, the new bracelet yeah. coming out that will zap you when you're about to have an at-risk behavior or that's something right. like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's really interesting because I'm not sure how we segue into uh, the next part of the uh, conversation. <laughs> yeah. Um, obviously, it's it's great to hear those insights and you know that kind of understanding around what it is that really needs to happen and taking it back to the problem as opposed to that emotional connection with people um and there is no segue so um i guess i, I understand um from chatting earlier that you've had quite a journey when it comes to your own personal health and you know from a health and safety perspective um and obviously yeah you said you've been diagnosed with you know clinical burnout um is there anything that you could perhaps share with our listeners around your experience and the learnings that you've had from coming from that yeah um I mean, I, I, I mention it to you because, A, I'm, I'm not someone who tends to hide behind things. You know, it is part of what's happened to me. And I think, uh, you know, it's, it's definitely something that people are more willing to talk about these days than maybe five, ten years ago. Uh, but I still think it has plenty of uh, baggage that comes with the subject, you know, of, of being burned out. Um, you know, the interesting thing is only it's only been a few years ago that... Uh, clinical burnout was recognized as an actual medical condition as opposed to just you know something that people were proposing existed um and you know i think if you understand it lives in the the family of depression so if you talk about clinical depression clinical burnout is an offshoot of that essentially so it's a form of depression um it starts to make a lot more sense and i think depression is something that people have certainly become more willing to speak about of late um, the, uh, I, there's a lot of stuff that I've kind of learned about it um, really over the years and the thing with clinical depression is it's a, it's not something you can fix with a pill I mean pills help and I'm still on an antidepressant a fairly low dose but um, the, the big thing to understand is and this is what I think turned it for me was it's actually a, it's a, it's a physiological problem right it's your brain the way it's been explained to me and I'm not a medical professional so don't yeah don't quote me on this but when you work really really hard for a very sustained period of time which was the case for me I, I you know 10 plus years ago I started up what has become Appinate my software company on my own you know just trying to make something happen and I was working extremely long hours um, and you know in my my mind was pretty much 100% absorbed by the company and the problems and the software I was trying to write and all those sorts of things. And 
you operate at a much higher level than you're accustomed to and that you actually thought you could. So in some ways, it's kind of euphoric and you know, you have some euphoric days where it's like, wow, I can't believe how much I'm getting done, right? Um, but you're essentially running on adrenaline, okay? And your body, your body produces adrenaline, you know, in certain situations, but it's not really designed to produce adrenaline sort of all the time. And, and that's essentially what happened in my case is, you know, I overworked, I worked myself to a point where my uh, phys physiology just could not produce sufficient amounts of adrenaline and uh, other, you know, sort of uh, chemicals that I think regulate your mood and particularly give you mood ranges, right? From like, you know, heights of anger, heights of uh, happiness to the, you know, the really hectic parts of anger, right? And so essentially what happened is my body could not produce as much as it used to be able to. And, and so my moods and, and my well-being and everything really dipped as a result of that because suddenly my body was producing far less than what would just be a natural normal balance as opposed to what I had, I guess, become dependent on to operate. And so when it was explained to me like that, it made a ton of sense. And I think depression and burnout in particular have this connotation that it's just in people's heads. You yeah. know, it's just like, oh, they're just tired or they're just yeah. exhausted and sure you can be tired and exhausted but this is really something where your brain chemistry has actually changed um, and there are studies now that have been coming out um, and one that really caught my attention um, was there is actual um, neuron damage that's happening when your body is running on adrenaline and, and you know these these chemicals um, for such sustained periods and I mean I'm talking about you know, not a few days, I'm talking about years, right? Um, and, and that's damage that uh, as yet they're not sure if it can be repaired, right? Or if your body can regenerate those, those parts. I mean, this is all still fairly new um, findings. Mm -hmm. But what it essentially means is I'm, I have some form of brain damage yeah. at this point, right? Um, I'm hoping it's not going to be permanent, but it also means that it's not a quick fix, right? And... So clinical burnout to me is something that, you know, people need to be wary of and aware of. And in our company, you know, some of the changes I've tried to make is make sure people go home on time or in the case of a remote setup, they close their computers and they don't come back to work, right? The rest of the day, like I have trained and encouraged the other leaders in our company to actively chase people away if they keep coming back, you know, at in the night you know in yeah. night time or something to do some work to me it's not as important as having a healthy having a healthy team mm -hmm. you know because yeah it's like do as i say not as i've done <laughs> yes yeah. right and you have that lived experience Absolutely. fortunately and unfortunately to be able to speak from yeah you know, yeah wisdom of here's what happens to you unfortunately if you go down that road exactly yeah um when they diagnosed you with the condition um were you provided with any coping strategies like is there anything you could perhaps share with our listeners you know once it's been recognized or perhaps how to recognize it and then what they can do if they do identify hey i think i'm experiencing this strategies i can put in place yeah absolutely um i mean for me it, it went to the point where i i had essentially a nervous breakdown right mm -hmm. and i just fell apart and so then i wound up through a few doctors, I wound up in a psychiatrist's office and that's where the diagnosis, you know, was successfully sort of done. Um, 
In terms of coping mechanisms, I mean, I can only talk from my experience. Uh, as I said, antidepressants were kind of the first thing they prescribed, and I'm not a pill person. I don't like yeah. taking stuff I don't need. Mm -hmm. And so I was quite resistant to that in the beginning. But again, once you understand the science, essentially the whole point of the antidepressants is to add back the chemicals that your body can't produce or yeah. just on is not producing in sufficient amount. Mm -hmm. Right. So, uh, yeah, you know, I've been kind of begrudgingly on those pills, but I've understood the reason for it. Mm -hmm. Um, and it goes back to getting people to accept change, right. <laughs> you know, once I understood, yeah. you know, actually why it's being prescribed and it's not just someone randomly giving me a script to try and solve my problems. Mm -hmm. Um, that certainly makes a difference. So actually getting medical help. Yeah. It's, it's not, I think again, people go, ah, oh, I'll just take a few weeks off and I'll be fine and I'll yeah. recharge my batteries or whatever. Now, again, depending on where you're at, that might be fine because it might give your body a chance to kind of get back to a normal regulation. But if you've really been pushing it for a long time and as I had, um, your body's broken, right? It's not going to fix itself anytime soon and you, you actually need to get on to some medical advice, right? Mm -hmm. You just have to. And it sucks because again, like, you know, I, I didn't want to be a head case, right? But here I am. So it, it is what it is. Um, I think the other thing that I've, the, the other two major things that I've found, um, and this is what every psychiatrist I think prescribes at the top of the list is, is sleep. Um, I was maybe sleeping, I was quite proud of the fact that I was operating on about six hours sleep or five to six hours sleep a day. Mm -hmm. And I was doing this for months and months on end, right? And then I'd have the odd crash where I'd sleep until friggin' midday or something, you know, the next day or something like that. And I think that was enough and I'd be fine. But sleep is super important. And I've had to, I've really had to change. I'm a night owl. I'm a software developer. We like writing code in the middle mm -hmm. of the night. You know, we have mm -hmm. strange ideas in the middle of the night that we want yeah. to put down. You know, I think artists and other people are like that too. Um, I have had to really try and force myself to go to bed and get my eight hours, you know, mm -hmm. seven and a half to eight hours. And it's, everyone's different, but that's you like, it, it's, yeah, it's super important. And I, my wife especially calls me out on it, but I also notice it more and more. If I have any kind of, if I have a few nights in a row where I'm not getting seven or eight hours, I can see the difference. Like I can see the deterioration, my condition, right? And this is three, three plus years later, mm -hmm. you know? Um, so, so I think sleep's a big one. And, um, besides your medical advice on sleep, the other big thing is, uh, exercise. Okay. Um, exercise releases endorphins and adrenaline and things like that, which makes you feel better. Right. Um, when you're in a situation where your body is, you know, being cranking at those things, I find exercise really changes mood, you know, okay. and, and that sort of thing. And it's essentially a natural way of trying to address what the pills will also help you address. Right. So yeah, um, those That's are the great. three big things. Perfect. Um, so thanks obviously for sharing, you know, the topic and I'm sure, you know, it is, it's close to you, something you've experienced and lived and I'm sure our listeners appreciate it as well. Um, and thanks for sharing the insights, I guess, into the three questions and how to get people to change and focusing on the problem as the solution and not the person themselves. Um, so yeah, thanks very much for coming out, sharing your experiences with us. Greatly appreciate it. Wow. I am so appreciative for Paul sharing such a personal and heartfelt journey with all of us today. As I said earlier in this episode, 
please do not hesitate to reach out to a relevant support service if you're experiencing anything slightly similar. That brings us to the end of another episode. Keep listening into the podcast though, as I'm now constantly meeting with new and exciting guests who want to share their journey and their messages with you. Until next time, stay safe.